0: Hello, this is Helga Edwards and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today we will be reading Genesis chapter 45 from the Good News translation, today's English version. Beginning at verse 1, Joseph was no longer able to control his feelings in front of his servants so he ordered them all to leave the room. No one else was with him when Joseph told his brothers who he was. He cried with such loud sobs that the Egyptians heard it, and the news was taken to the king's palace. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But when his brothers heard this, they were so terrified that they could not answer. Then Joseph said to them, Please come closer. They did, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be upset or blame yourselves because you sold me here. It was really God who sent me ahead of you to save people's lives. This is only the second year of famine in the land. There will be five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor reaping. God sent me ahead of you to rescue you in this amazing way and to make sure that you and your descendants survive. So it was not really you who sent me here, but God. He has made me the king's highest official. I am in charge of this whole country, I am ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him that this is what his son Joseph says, God has made me ruler of all Egypt, come to me without delay. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your goats, your cattle, and everything else that you have. If you are in Goshen, I can take care of you. There will still be five years of famine, and I do not want you, your family, or your livestock to starve. Joseph continued, Now all of you, and you too, Benjamin, can see that I really am Joseph. Tell my father how powerful I am here in Egypt, and tell him about everything that you have seen. Then hurry and bring him here he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and began to cry. Benjamin also cried as he hugged him. Then, still weeping, he embraced each of his brothers and kissed them. After that, his brothers began to talk with him. When the news reached the palace that Joseph's brothers had come, the king and his officials were pleased. He said to Joseph, Tell your brothers to load their animals and to return to the land of Canaan. Let them get their father and their families and come back here. I will give them the best land in Egypt, and they will have more than enough to live on. Tell them also to take wagons with them from Egypt for their wives and small children, and to bring their father with them. They are not to worry about leaving their possessions behind. The best in the whole land of Egypt will be theirs. Jacob's sons did as they were told. Joseph gave them wagons as the king had ordered, and food for the trip. He also gave each of them a change of clothes, but he gave Benjamin three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father ten donkeys loaded with the best Egyptian goods and ten donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and other food for the trip. He sent his brothers off, and as they left, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. They left Egypt and went back home to their father Jacob in Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him. He is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned and could not believe them. But when they had told him all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to take him to Egypt, he recovered from the shock. My son Joseph is still alive, he said. This is all I could ask for. I must go and see him. Before I die. Here in Genesis chapter 45, we finally see the fulfillment of Joseph's prophetic dreams. He was made ruler over Egypt so that he could save his family from famine. God chose him for this task. Again in verse 5, the Good News translation says Now do not be upset or blame yourselves because you sold me here. It was really God who sent me ahead of you to save people's lives. Unfortunately, this particular translation does not accurately represent what we find in the same passage of the Greek Septuagint. In this ancient version of the Old Testament, written in the 3rd and 2nd centuries BC, verse 5 states, Do not fret, or let it appear hard to you, that you delivered me here. For life God sent me in front of you. The Good News translation says that Joseph's brothers should not blame themselves for the sinful act of selling him into slavery. They should not blame themselves because allegedly it was really God who caused this to happen. The brothers were not actually responsible for their sinful actions, instead God is portrayed as the responsible party. The Septuagint, on the other hand, does not make God responsible for human sin instead of telling the brothers not to blame themselves it merely says they should not be overly grieved or troubled in view of the positive outcome they should not see the events in a hard or literally harsh or bitter light even though joseph's brothers did something terribly wrong god miraculously ensured that all events work together in such a way that Joseph would come to a position of power so that he could rescue his family and others in a time of crisis. This is the message we find in the Greek Septuagint. Joseph's brothers chose to do evil. God did not make them do this. God did, however, intervene in such a way that even the things Joseph's brothers meant for evil would miraculously lead to a positive end. We find a similar principle in the New Testament book of Romans. In chapter 8, verse 28, the Apostle Paul explains, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Some translations also render this passage incorrectly, suggesting that God himself literally causes all things. This way of interpreting and translating the text is not informed by the Bible itself. Rather, it comes from a theological tradition known as Calvinism. In John Calvin's work entitled Institutes of the Christian Religion, he states, The will of God is a supreme and primary cause of all things. In Calvin's mind, this included human sin. Adam and Eve, according to the Institutes, did not sin by their own rebellious choice. Rather, their fall into a sinful state was allegedly decreed by God. In the words of modern-day Calvinist John Piper, quote, God decrees all things, even all sins. End of quote. We find this sentiment in John Calvin's commentary on Genesis chapter 45. According to Calvin, Joseph's brothers did not act on their own initiative to sell him into slavery. Rather, their actions were a direct result of God's decree. Calvin is aware, he says, that this makes God appear to be the author of sin. He admits that his interpretation of the passage also appears to exonerate human beings from the guilt of their own sinful choices. To those who raise such concerns about his distorted theology, he says, "...although the sacrilegious fury cannot be effectually rebutted, it may suffice that we hold it in detestation." In other words, although the position of his critics cannot be effectively refuted, it should nonetheless be despised. He does not explain why.
1: John Calvin's interpretation of Genesis 45 is not supported by other passages of Scripture. For example, in Isaiah 54.15, God says, If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. In the context of the passage, Isaiah foretells a time when God will restore and bless the nation of Israel. During this period of restoration, if anyone attacks Israel, it will not be God's doing. The New Testament book of James warns that nobody should attribute sin or even temptation to God. Chapter 1 verses 13 to 15 state, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God did not cause Joseph's brothers to sin. His decree did not compel them to sell their brother into slavery. Their own jealousy and resentment enticed them to do that. Calvin didn't see it that way. He looked specifically to Genesis 45.8 to make his case. Once again, the Good News translation makes some changes to the verse to support John Calvin's theology. In the Good News translation, verse 8 reads, quote, So it was not really you who sent me here, but God, Unquote. Once again, this language appears to exonerate the brothers from the guilt of their own sinful conduct. It wasn't really they who had Joseph transported to Egypt as a slave. It was God. Again, The Greek Septuagint does not say the same thing. In the Septuagint, the word really does not appear. And the verb translated sent has a very specific contextual meaning. In ancient Greek literature, the verb referred to sending or dispatching someone on a mission to complete a specific task. In other words, God sent Joseph on a mission to save his family. This was indeed God's doing. And it in no way exonerated Joseph's brothers from being accountable for their sins. Our God is so powerful. He is bigger than the things that should never have happened. And he can turn them around and even use them for good. Romans 8.28 does not say that God causes all things. It says God can work them for good. If John Calvin did not get his deterministic ideas about God from the Bible, where did they come from? In his work entitled A Treatise on the Eternal Predestination of God, Calvin confessed, Augustine is so holy with me that if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I could do so with all fullness and satisfaction to myself out of his writings. In other words, John Calvin's view of God came from a 4th century AD Roman bishop named St. Augustine. Augustine viewed God as all-controlling. In his work entitled Confessions, he admits deriving this view from the philosophical works of a man named Plotinus. The God of Plotinus was not the God of the Bible. It was an all-controlling power that was responsible for the origin of both good and evil. St. Augustine saw God and humanity in terms of opposing absolutes. On one hand, God was perfect. On the other, human beings were entirely evil. He referred to all human beings in a letter to a friend named Simplicianus as a damned and damnable mass of sin. St. Augustine took an especially dim view of human sexuality. For instance, since an erection does not take place under the control of a man's will, Augustine believed it must be under the control of indwelling sin. In his work entitled On Concupiscence, he shared the view that the sexual desire a husband might feel in the presence of his wife was the vehicle by which original sin passed from one generation to the next. For this reason, to prevent a man from allegedly falling prey to indwelling sin, Augustine insisted that all women cover themselves with a veil. In today's psychological language, St. Augustine's view of God and humanity would properly be described as shame-based. God allegedly created a race that would fall under sin and judgment by God's decree. The males of this race would then uncontrollably fall prey to sexual sin in the presence of an unveiled woman. Sin, for men, was allegedly either God's fault or a woman's. Men, it would seem, are victims of forces beyond their control. Some of the first words of Adam after humanity turned from God in the Garden of Eden come to mind. Quote, The woman whom you gave to me gave me of the tree and I did eat." Projecting blame for sin onto God and women is a defense against shame that is as old as Eden. In Augustine and Calvin's theology, God is exonerated on the basis of his inscrutable wisdom. Women, however, do not fare so well. They must be made subject to the will of men. For roughly the past 1,600 years, A dark view of God and humanity has been projected onto the Bible by deterministic theologians like John Calvin and St. Augustine. Part of their theological framework appears to make God responsible for human sin. Yet another aspect of their worldview makes no distinction between temptation and sin and makes women responsible for the sexual struggles of men. In many instances, translators who embrace this theology make changes to the biblical text to make it appear to support their own dark and deterministic worldview. One example of this can be found in Genesis 45 verses 5 through 8, the passage of the Bible about Joseph that we just read. Rather than portraying God as the author of human sin, however, these verses remind us that even when human beings choose to do terrible things, God can miraculously intervene to bring about a positive outcome. The sin is still damaging, however, and those responsible for it will one day be held accountable if they do not repent and trust in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for salvation.